Good morning, Restoration Church, and anybody else tuning in this morning, welcome to our weekly live stream worship service. We are so glad that you're here joining with us this morning. We, we're going to begin our service with a time of praise and worship and singing, and um, then we'll have our teaching from our pastor, Anthony Orzo. And so we just invite you and your families to use this time to grow closer to God and sing with us in your homes. The greatest thing about singing just at home is, you know, you really don't have to feel um, pressured by maybe your neighbor uh, hearing your singing voice. You can sing out as loud as you want, um, unless you feel a little nervous around your wife or kids or something like that. But this is a really important time of our service. This is an important time of our service, and these are important words. Uh, our first song is, is the doxology, which is one of the oldest hymns the church has. And it's just, it's just praising God. It's a song of adoration to God. The first words say, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. The second verse says, praise God for all that he has done. Praise him for he has overcome. And just ask you throughout this song to think about oh, the obstacles that God has overcome in your lives. And I hope that that really encourages your hearts to worship this morning. Let's sing together. Let's sing praise God together. We praise you. 
next song is inspired by one of the last verses of the last chapter of the last book of the Bible. One of the last verses of the Bible says, the spirit and the bride say come. Spirit and the bride say all invite all to drink freely from the well of life. And that's how the word of God ends. The spirit and the bride. The bride is the church. The spirit is the spirit of God. And so we invite anyone out there now who's thinking about growing closer to God was perhaps never thought about growing closer to God, who has walked with you for years, and anyone watching now who feels distant in their relationship with God. The first verse of this song says, have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calm. That echoes the verses I just said. All who are thirsty, come. We're all thirsty. We're all in need of our purpose in life and to be walking the right way in our life, to receive those blessings from God, to receive restoration in our relationships. It can only come through the miracle of the Holy Spirit to serve others sacrificially the way that Jesus did. So this song is meant to encourage your hearts. Let's sing together, Are You Hurting and Broken Within? Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling 
Jesus' call, he's calling you right now. Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Wait for the crowd. 
Bear your cross as you wait for the crown. Tell the world of the treasure you found. Jesus is calling. Scripture reading this morning is from Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, and verse 21, starting at verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, this is Paul speaking, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray together. Dear Lord, morning we come humbled and thankful for who you are. What an amazing God and what an amazing gospel you sent out to the world. I pray this morning that our church would be moved by this scripture and these words in this service this morning. In this time where there may be so much loneliness and brokenness, we the church would be a city on a hill, salt in the earth, that we would show kindness even in the darkest days. Just give us the strength to do that, Lord. God, you tell us in, in your word that when we're facing any temptation, you've always provided a way out. Temptation may exist to ignore our neighbors during this time, God, but I just pray that you would intercede in our lives, intercede in our lives this morning, intercede in our lives this week, convict us to serve our neighbors, convict us to reach out to people that we don't really feel like reaching out to. God, we know that the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak, and we're just we're just weak without you, Lord. We need your help. We need your help, Lord. And I'm praying for everyone here this morning who is tuning in, maybe for the first time. I just pray, Lord, that um, we would minister well to them, that they would feel loved through this live stream, and that they would know you on an even deeper level. So as we move into our time of teaching, I just pray that you would speak through Anthony, give him the words to say. Let his heart be tuned to the needs of our church and the needs of our community, even the needs of our world, Lord, if somebody, somebody sees this live stream out there. Thank you so much for everyone who served here this morning. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Good morning. All right. Good morning, Restoration. Good to see myself, <laughs> knowing that you are there. Um, we're so glad to be here again another Sunday to give God glory, to praise His name, to honor and magnify um, Him, just to come together as a church, as a community of believers who love Him. Um, thank you for tuning in today. Thank you for streaming and um, just being with us as we continue to worship God. Um, this week, our announcements are just to continue to stay plugged in. Um, with our community groups. So if you have not yet joined, I believe we have four community groups that are all vibrantly moving throughout the week. Um, if you're looking for a time, um, there is one that will most definitely fit, fit your schedule. So um, if you are curious about that or want to know more, continue to contact us. We would love to give you information on um, before and where you can meet or come in with the password and the meeting ID numbers and all that Zoom stuff is going on. So. All right, thank you. That's all we got for me. Next, Pastor Anthony. Well, let me reiterate Wendell's uh, good morning to you, and thank you for uh, being with us here this week. Uh, super thankful, obviously, to have this, this opportunity to talk and to teach. And uh, I just want to say a, a couple of quick things before we jump into our our series that we began last week, and uh, the first is this, that this this past week, you know, for the, for the first time, we sort of heard from some of the leaders of our country that we're going to begin taking some steps to try to get back to normal, whatever normal means, and I just wanted to take a quick minute, a very quick minute, before we jump into the scripture today, just to let you know that as the, the state of Florida begins to uh, undergo a gradual phased reopening, I, I don't want you all thinking that we are not paying attention to what is going on in our world and in our community. Uh, in fact, we actually have some pretty developed uh, plans, if you will, for how we can sort of get back to normal when that day actually is set uh, before us. And so I want us in this in-between period, since one of the last things that will likely be permitted is group gathering, at least in a safe way. What I'd like us to do is to be thankful for this time that we have to be able to connect through uh, technology and smaller groups throughout the week, but also to be mindful that uh, we really are praying for the day that we can gather together again as, uh, as, a, as a large church family. And so one intermediate step I just want to let you know of, and keep in mind when I say intermediate step, um, our plans don't have dates connected to them just because uh, you know, I cannot prophetically predict the future, but we can sort of share with you what, what we hope our next phase will be once, uh, once things begin to ease a little bit regarding gathering restrictions. And that is to take sort of what we're doing right now, which is the majority of you are sitting in your living room or wherever you are watching us. You're a family or a partner of restoration or somebody visiting with us today. You're, you're watching this live stream from our church office, and that's a wonderful thing. But our, our next step will be to create small, I'd almost like to call them watch parties at certain houses, simply meaning it would be really wonderful when we are allowed to be together in groups of more than 10 people, but not necessarily in large, large groups, that uh, we have certain houses where our congregants and visitors and friends could gather to actually share a meal together and uh, you know worship with us like this. So the next step for us, and again, there's no timeline on this, so we'll be keeping an eye on it, on it and letting you know when we see things 
sort of getting a little better, but I, I did want to mention this to you now because if you're interested in possibly being one of those homes, like if you'd like to be the home that hosts one of these on a Sunday morning, we'd love it. And if you're involved in a community group, this is essentially the same thing. We would have a community group gathering, if you will, on Sunday morning in certain houses where we would worship together and then spend some time eating. So I want you all to know that from the main office, my home office of Restoration, that uh, even though we've been sort of scattered here for the past month, month and a half, uh, Restoration is alive and well. And I, uh, although I'm mindful and cognizant of the the suffering that's going on in our world, I have been so deeply encouraged by the uh, the contact I've had with you all, uh, the way you're caring for each other, and without question, the ever-increasing burden that you all have had to care for and love your neighbor. And so I want us to be thankful for technology, but I also want us to realize that it also stinks in a certain way. So if you will, join me today, sort of like, uh, you know, put your hand up on that TV and let's make believe like we're touching each other's hands and shaking hands. It'll be a gesture of love, like from the other side of the glass plate. Go ahead and stick your hand up there and know that we are together physically, all right? Uh, not physically, but spiritually in Jesus. And I'm sorry if I made your kids blurry up your uh, television screen doing that, but we are united in the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to say one other thing before we jump into our teaching this morning, and that is that uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago, we, we started doing some things to help your kids engage with this because we do realize it's very challenging um, to sit in front of a computer and keep your kids dialed into what we're doing. So um, I just want to pose a question to you. Uh, hopefully we uh, can maybe have somebody type this in our comments. And I'd like you to think about this question as we go through this teaching and maybe dialogue with your children about it while we're in it and certainly afterwards. Since we're spending a few weeks talking about how God can bring very good things out of very difficult situations, I simply want to ask you as parents, if you have children, to ask your children what might be one difficult thing they have endured throughout the course of this time of uh, of quarantine. Maybe it's the fact that they've not been able to see their friends as they normally do, or they, they miss school, or all of their life rhythms have been disrupted just like ours. So I want to ask you guys to think about that, to make that a discussion point this week, and hopefully what I teach on today will help to aid in that. Ask your children what is one thing that has just been troubling for them in this rhythm of disruption, and maybe try to shepherd their hearts to the place where they can see how God has actually brought something good out of a difficult situation. And that's really important. And that's really the premise of what we began studying last week and we'll continue to study for the next couple of weeks. I sort of entitled this little mini-series, Understanding Suffering, because it is very important for we as Christians, especially with what's going on in our world right now, to, to be able to not only understand what suffering is and the challenges it presents in our lives and also the opportunities it presents for us to love and care for people. I, I would say as God's people, uh, it, it demands, circumstances like this demand that we not only have a theology and understanding of how to help a hurting world, but we actually have an action plan in helping a hurting world. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is that we are built to persevere, to endure through trying times. That's a promise of the gospel. And that's why we began last week looking at these verses that our worship leader Abe just read us from Philippians. This is a place where the Apostle Paul, who we know uh, has done great things for Jesus throughout the course of his life, he's also one of the people that has had some of the greatest hardships in his life. And in the present text that we just read, he is enduring a, a very serious hardship. 
He's been wrongfully imprisoned for the fact that he was faithful to proclaim the gospel of Jesus in the city of Philippi. And so what's happened here is, in, at least in current philosophical terms, we would say a very bad thing has happened to somebody we would call a very good person. And this is where these sort of understandings, these rhythms of suffering, of, of challenge, really begin to, uh, they begin to hit us where it hurts in our hearts, our emotions can be confused. Our minds sometimes have a hard time processing, you know, why good things happen to bad people, or, or uh, excuse me, why bad things happen to good people, or why challenging things just happen in general. And so Paul's life right now in this prison cell is really an evidence that God's people can be hopeful in the most challenging of circumstances. And keep in mind, hope and joy doesn't necessarily mean physical happiness in, this, in the way you might celebrate a birthday or a major milestone in life. I'm not saying that you can't have emotional joy. I am saying the type of joy that we've been talking about, the type of hope we've been talking about, is one that Christ gives us. It's a it's an unassailable joy, an unassailable hope that actually not only transcends our circumstances, but can allow us to victoriously labor through them and, and really see God bring good things out of difficult circumstances. And so this hardship, this enduring spirit and positive Christ-like attitude is what I want to continue to talk about over these next weeks. And last week, just a very brief summary, this message is online, so if you didn't hear it, I would encourage you to check it out. This will certainly be a standalone teaching, but what we talked about last week is, is important to have to interact with what we're going to discuss this week. Last week, we pointed out that life, the big idea, you might say, is that life can and at will, at times, will, will be difficult or will be hard. And we have to be careful during moments like this to not fall into the belief trap, that false belief trap, that when our life is challenging or difficult, that this is an evidence of God's lack of care or lack of love or maybe even his displeasure with us. Sometimes, just want you to know that that is less Christian theology and more what we might call karma in the modern world. We also talked about how some Christians believe that the sign of God's genuine love in your life is, is really that you have no problems. The evidence of his enduring presence in your life is that all your problems go away. And that is also patently untrue. We, we have a different hope, a different sort of object to fix the attention of our hearts on during trial and suffering. But there is no promise that says when we love Jesus and when Jesus declares his love for us that uh, all of our problems go away. This is patently untrue. And we use the examples of John the Baptist last week who faithfully served Jesus and lost his life because of it. The Samaritan woman at the well who was marginalized by her society, but eventually that hardship is what brought her to hope and faith in Jesus. And the Apostle Paul in particular, who is enduring hardship in the very moments of the text that we just read. And in each one of these situations, what we saw last week and what I hope we will continue to see in the weeks that follow is that God can use, and often does use, incredibly difficult life circumstances to bring about beautiful stories of redemption, hope, and healing. And that truth is what we're going to continue to unpack today. And I hope that's, that makes sense as to the question that I just gave you to think about with your children. There might be some places where they are a little hopeless or frustrated or angry or anxious. These are great opportunities to shepherd a young person's heart into understanding that God is still God in the moments of life that seem out of control. 
and he still loves us in those moments. In fact, one of the things we learn from Scripture is that it's often in moments like this where we are able to sense the enduring and permanent and faithful love of God in ways that we could not when life was less troubling or less problematic. God can bring good things out of difficult circumstances. And so this leads me to the, the main truth I want to share with you this morning. Last week, we just straight up grabbed the bull by the horns, and we said that life can and will be difficult at times. This week, I want to take that statement and sort of add a little bit to it. Here's what I want to share with you this morning. Even though life can be hard, if you're paying attention, you'll always see the goodness of God in your situation. And what I simply mean by this is that we, we almost have to acknowledge that there are going to be moments of life that are difficult. So leaving that aside, sort of owning that reality, the, the life of the Christian, the life of somebody who's trying to find purpose in what's going on in their lives, especially when they're difficult, requires us to, to have some faith in the fact that God not only desires to, but actually will bring about good things from difficult circumstances. And seeing God's goodness in your hardship, whatever it may be, is entirely dependent on what you have made the bottom line in your life. That's the idea I'd like to kick around today. Seeing God's goodness in your hardship is entirely dependent on what you have made the bottom line in your life. And this is what Paul is referencing in verse 21. It's the declaration that he has sort of uh, proclaim to the world about the reason for his existence. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And this idea of the bottom line, I, I want to fully give credit where it is deserved. Uh, years ago, while studying the book of Philippians, I, I came across this phrase and some stuff that Tim Keller had written. So I, I want to make sure that the credit for this idea of the bottom line goes to him. But I do want to sort of unpack it in our own way here at Restoration. I want to talk about what understanding to live for Christ means and how that understanding really shapes the, not only the worldview we have, but the very particular moments of our life, whether they are good or challenging. Knowing this with our heads and believing it deeply in our hearts, that to live as Christ actually gives us a, a compass, you might say. It, it might even determine how we understand suffering and deal with hardship. And so what Paul is saying in verse 21 is that for him, the thing that makes his life worth living, even to the point if he had to give it up, what the most important thing in his life is, he's saying is that no matter what's going on, I know no matter what circumstance I'm facing, even as I'm penning a letter to you and from a, a jail cell for being uh, wrongly imprisoned for the sake of the gospel, he says, when Jesus is at the center of my heart, when he sits on the throne of my life, then no matter what's going on around me, I'm truly living. And this is why when falsely imprisoned, he's able to have joy. This is why Philippians and the Gospel of John are pretty much my two favorite books in the Bible. Uh, the Gospel of John just because it's so laden with the story of Jesus. And Philippians because it's one of the greatest examples we have of somebody who is deeply in love with Jesus. And so here, even at a moment in Paul's life where it looks like he has been forsaken by everybody and everything, he is fully aware and writing a letter of encouragement to other Christians about the fact that he knows Jesus has not forsaken him. That he is perhaps, even though Jesus is present with us, period, he is sensing and experiencing the goodness and the grace of Jesus in his life at a moment that is very difficult. Now that is a very beautiful statement, right? That we know during the, the challenges and the hardship of life that the presence of Jesus is with us, that he loves us deeply, and that he cares about us. That's sort of po poetic, isn't it? But there's a human reality that's connected to that. 
There's a deep challenge that we often face when it comes to a passage like this. Logically and theologically, what we would say is that we, we, we would say it's almost like perfect sense that when somebody declares with their heart that they love and want to follow Jesus, that part of that declaration is the commitment to believe this way. It's to trust in Jesus this way. It's to spend the rest of our days learning to grow in the goodness and the grace of the promises of Jesus Christ. In other words, the premise of this sermon is that as we grow in, the, in our faith with Christ, more and more we recognize that to live is Christ and, and to die is gain. There's nothing on this earth that can satisfy us or fulfill us like Jesus can. He is the reason for our existence. That's a very neat and tidy statement. And I could email it to you and it would be really awesome to have it in a paragraph form. But the truth is, as much as that makes perfect sense, as absolutely true as it is, it is one of the hardest realities for us to make sense of in our lives when things are difficult. And the reason I bring this up is that this promise is significant, but it's one that requires some trust and effort on our parts. There are going to be some times where we really have to look to Jesus and say, like, I know this is true up here, but I cannot emotively or spiritually sense the reality of this. Life just seems hard, and I'm a little bit hopeless right now. This makes perfect sense, logically and theologically, that Jesus would always be our bottom line. But the reality of whether or not he is our bottom line is going to be evidenced when the trials come. And I would actually say perhaps more than any other thing in life, suffering, hardship, reveals what we are truly living for. It, above all else, sort of reveals what the bottom line in our lives is, or are, what the bottom lines are. So, like we said last week, it goes back to how we have ultimately rooted our hope, our hope in something. There is something we all live for, and, or maybe it's a multitude of things we live for. And if we are believers, I'm speaking to the Christian right now, if you are a Christian who, who has illogically, and sort of in a, in a poor theological way, chosen to give your heart to something else besides Jesus, while simultaneously proclaiming you gave your heart to Jesus. If you, if you say for me to live is something that is not Christ, then what happens is we begin to understand what the bottom line of our lives is. And there's an inevitable problem that arises with this as you follow Jesus. To, to follow Jesus as a disciple means that in very imperfect ways we have cast the affections of our heart on him and we are doing our best to follow him throughout the course of all of our days. That's the, the goal. And we recognize that that is often a messy goal. There's times in our lives where we're really following Christ well, where we are sort of like in the zone, you might say. And then there are moments where we feel like there is no God, or maybe we've been betrayed by God, or maybe our circumstances just don't seem to make any sense in regard to what our life plans were. There is an inevitable problem that arises when we, with our mouths, profess to follow Jesus. But when the trials come, if we have truly with our hearts chosen to profess a love for something else that is not Jesus, as if it were Jesus, what's going to happen is that that's going to be surfaced. And it'll be surfaced in the way we are overcome by whatever that thing is. And I want to give you some examples. Here's essentially how I want to spend the rest of our time this morning, is by giving you some common examples that, that we, in particular, as, as American Western Christians, these are the things that we often give the bottom line to. We might profess with our mouths an ultimate love for Jesus, but the evidence of what is in our lives can sometimes be validated 
by what we are wrecked by, the things that sort of give us the ultimate happiness in life and the things that wreck us most significantly. And so, for example, if you're the person who says, let's, let's take this first and let's change it for the sake of argument for this morning. If you're the person who says, for me to live is not to live for Christ, but for me to live is, is to live for my personal pleasure, my absolute personal happiness. If you think that the bottom line in life is ensuring yourself a life of, of personal comfort, and I would argue that this is probably the most common bottom line that the American Christian lives for, and it's a very tricky one, because sometimes, what, here's the irony, at least that I find in this, is that because most humans... And if you look at the worldview of America, we're sort of told, like, you know, you, you work hard and you go to college or trade school and you, you get a good job and your life should sort of just look like this the whole time, right? It goes up and up and up. And then we're told that, like, the pinnacle of, of sort of American society is that at, at 65 or 67, you get to retire and, and check out of life. And for a lot of folks, this is true of the kingdom, too. They feel like they've hit this milestone in their life where it's time for somebody else to do the work of Jesus. And this is an interesting way. We, we sort of patterned our lives. And keep in mind, I'm all for hard work, uh, like very, very hard work. So don't hear me knocking that. What I'm saying, though, is that the irony with the way we understand work in America is that we often work incredibly hard in our vocations so that we can satisfy this need of comfort and, and leisure. And so if you ultimately live to make sure that your life is filled only with the things that make you comfortable, what naturally happens is somewhat simultaneously you start to remove anything, and if I may be so bold, anyone that might threaten your comfort. It's a very easy way to live when you sort of do what is best for you and sort of disregard what is going on in the lives of other people. And not only is this a way of living that stands in sharp contrast to the life of Jesus, I mean, think about it, his whole life is the antithesis of this. He does nothing but give up his personal comforts in order to benefit the world in ways that benefit us far more than they benefit him. This is a way of living that stands in sharp contrast to Jesus, and ultimately it is built on a faulty foundation, one that will betray us. Because when life, you know, there's sort of a, a, a colloquial proverb we have in our world where we say that life can often be a cruel teacher. Sometimes the, the lessons that life chooses to show us are a little harder than the way Christ would like to reveal them to us. When the cruel teacher of life deals us a blow that threatens or maybe even takes away, in this case, comfort, which has been challenged by, uh, I mean, look at the world right now. Like, let's just say through something like a global pandemic, at least in my lifetime, um, apart from Hurricane Katrina, which was a very localized incident, I've not seen a level of, of discomfort in the world like the one we are seeing now. And this is a great example of why we have to be mindful that if, if our hearts are out of source right now, we might at least ask the question, is it because our ultimate hope has been in living comfortably? And we're living in a situation right now where things are very uncomfortable. And for some people are downright tragic. If comfort is what we ultimately live for, uh, if it is our bottom line, the reality is that when the comfort goes, so, so does our joy and hope. Uh, comfort is not a 100% guaranteed promise in the Bible. However, God's perseverance, God's presence in our life, the goodness and the grace of Jesus through us uh, is, is the promise that we get. And that's why it's better to put your hope in Christ so that you can transcend the circumstance of discomfort when it is presented to you. Let me give you another example. Maybe for you uh, or somebody you know, you say, for me to live is not to live for Christ. For me to live is to live for me. 
let's take leisure and comfort and, and really narrow it down to what we would call like a, an autonomous narcissism almost. This is the person who, who thinks like everything in the world exists for them and their personal pleasure, not just general pleasure, but, but the world sort of orbits around them and their desires or needs. This is the person whose bottom line is, is taking care of number one. Their most important priority in life is, is self. And I'm not saying that we should not care for ourselves, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. What I'm talking about here is when, when we make the bottom line of our lives ourselves. In other words, when we begin to love and worship ourselves as if we are God. We, we are the ones that we, we worship self in a way to where we expect everything around us to sort of bow and benefit us. And this too is a real problem. Say, for example, let's just look at some of the natural realities of life. Maybe you have a great job that you enjoy, but it starts to demand a greater level of responsibility from you. In other words, it starts to threaten self. It starts to demand of you something you don't want to give. Or maybe, you know, you've spent your whole life living for self, and then you take the next step of getting married, or you, you have kids, and you start to realize in ever-increasing ways that life is not just about self. In fact, even if you're not married or without kids, we are utterly dependent on a great many things in our world. We might think we are fully autonomous and can completely live without the aid or benefit of others, but some basic things in our world today have shown us that that's not true. You know, when a meat plant in middle America closes down, it actually can affect us here in Florida. So the very notion, notion of living for self, while it might seem good and proper, like maybe even responsible, at some point what happens is we we have to recognize the fallacy in this and how common it is for people to believe that the world orbits around them. And in the most important ways, if we begin to recognize that God wants us to be the types of people that don't only look out for our own interests. Like this is another teaching in the book of Philippians that we won't spend a lot of time here, but we are literally told in Philippians that one of the greatest marks of the men and women who love Jesus is that they care for others and that there are even times in their lives when they might care for others in greater ways than the way they care for themselves. And so what happens is when you profess this love for Jesus and you say, you know what, for me to live is Jesus, but in reality in your heart what you're doing is to live, for, to live for you is to live for you, what happens is hardship comes. Your, your bottom line is under attack. And you might feel like the world is collapsing around you because it no longer exists for you. When the truth is that following Christ means we are to have a healthy balance in recognizing the incredible prescribed worth that God puts on our lives because of what Jesus has done for us. And that is meant not to increase selfishness in our lives, it's meant to catalyze selflessness, meaning the fact that we fully understand the love Jesus has for us should create a, a, a compulsion in our hearts to, to share that love through word and deed with others. But if our bottom line is self, that doesn't happen. Or maybe, here's another bell I think I'm likely about to ring, and I'm one that can be subjected to this bell. Maybe your bottom line in life is control. And what you say is, for me to live is to be in control of all my circumstances. For me to live is to have every single thing going on in my life tidily put into my calendar and squared away. You're the person who thrives in life when you feel like everything is in order, when, when the cogs of the, in the big machine of life are, are cranking properly and everything is smooth and fluid. The job is stable. The family's stable. The friendships are stable. You're ahead on your house payments. You eat dinner at 6 p.m. every day, and you have your meals planned out for three months at a time. Everything works in some sort of system for you. 
and everything is good. Your bottom line is good when everything is in order. But as you all know, life does not always stay or submit to the order we try to apply to it. As you well know, life is too messy for our lives to remain perfect and in order at all times. So, for example, like when your job maybe isn't as stable as you thought it once was, or maybe you've missed a sales quarter two quarters in a row and you're at risk of losing your job, or maybe you have a business right now that the state will not permit to open because it's deemed unessential, or maybe your perfect paper list of what you were going to do this summer is no longer perfectly written down on, on paper because obviously none of us can travel right now. The next three months of our lives are anything but the perfect plan we had developed. Or maybe the plan you had for your kids it didn't work out. They're sick or there's an unexpected trip you have to take. Or you're in a season of life where you thought you'd be celebrating a great, you know, a great victory in marriage. But the truth is that things are just hard. Your kids are acting out. It's a real chore just to get them to sit at the dinner table, let alone to plan out a few months of meals for them. Or you've realized, like, when it comes to being ahead on the house uh, payment, like, maybe you can't make your mortgage right now. Or maybe you're behind in your mortgage. You're no longer ahead in life. You're just trying to, best case scenario, stay afloat with it. If control is your bottom line, I'm not arguing against being organized and put together, being responsible. But what I'm saying is, is if control is your bottom line, when the trials of life take away control, you will fall apart because your life is rooted in a false promise. None of us can control the circumstances of life. We might be able to manipulate a handful of them at times for a short season. But the truth is that the world, the reality of our world is too big for us to control it in perfect order. And so if our hope, if our bottom line is in control, then what happens is, that is a life destined for misery. The more you realize you are out of control, the more you will lose your mental, spiritual, and physical sanity. It's often the cause of depression and, and internal suffering for us. Is when we realize the world, the world is moving in places or in direction or people that we love and care for are doing things or maybe even our own lives are out of control. We have to have something beyond that. We have to have something beyond control to transcend that circumstance. Let me give you another example. This is sort of a cousin to this. This is especially true for all of you, and I'm in this boat, that have families, right? Maybe for you, the bottom line is your children. And I find this to be an ever-growing bottom line in the current world we live in. For you, this verse reads like this. For me to live is not to live for Christ, but for me to live is to live vicariously for the sake of my children. And so this is what happens when you find your ultimate identity in being a mom or a dad. And keep in mind, these are pretty profound identities in the scripture. Motherhood and fatherhood are, are major ways that God has deemed the, the world to, to flourish. In other words, we should be responsible dads and moms. We should love and care for our children. But what I'm saying here is what happens when, when you actually begin to love your identity as a parent uh, more than you actually love the, the, the grace of what it means to know Jesus. For you or for me, the bottom line is being a mom and dad. Then what happens is our priority scale subtly shifts. And what happens is, is we start to, to live for our children. And on one front, this sounds incredibly noble. Like, who could argue in the world that, that living for your children is a bad thing? In some senses, living sacrificially for them is a great thing. But if it becomes the ultimate thing, then what happens is it creates an incredibly uh, dangerous problem for us. It, it's sort of like packaged under the guise of nobility becomes a false idol. 
And that idol has the potential to really destroy us. Because think about this. If you live solely for your children, then what happens is, is you will start to worship your kids. If every decision you make in life is not about what it means for them to become more Christ-like or to follow Jesus in more significant and meaningful ways, if you, if you live to satisfy your children or to live vicariously through them, what very naturally begins to happen is you start to impose undue pressures on them and yourself because of expectation levels. And these are tricky because you, you can actually justify this behavior by saying things like, well, you know, I act this way because I want to give my, my kids the life I never had growing up. And that's why I'm, you know, I, I work 100 hours a week and I provide a lot for my kids. I just don't ever see them. It's very easy for us to begin sort of enabling this, this control idol of, of putting our kids before Jesus. We start to bend over backwards for them in what we might call, you know, enabling ways. We start to do things that that while we think are helping them, maybe are not, they're actually hurting them. They're actually providing a, a, a form of safety or a type of life that actually is not, it doesn't transfer when they move into the real world. Or another problem today is, is how super busy parents are. We're just consumed by going to event and event and event and activity after activity after activity, putting their kids in stuff. And we're not against events or activities or extracurricular uh, items. But the point is that when we begin to live like this, when we solely live for our children being the bottom line, we set ourselves up for an incredible tragedy. And here's how. What if your kids don't live up to those expectations you have in your mind? Or what if you actually break your children in the process of, of, of demanding that they be a certain way? In other words, what happens if the pressure that you apply to their lives actually breaks them? It, it cracks them physically, spiritually, and emotionally. Or what if let, let's look at the best case scenario. What if everything turns out the way you want? Like, let's just say your 18-year your plan for your children worked out exactly as you wanted it to. The truth is that eventually, even if it works out that way, your children will leave, right? That, that's the plan, that we raise our children well and we release them into the world to, to love Jesus well. Unless, you know, maybe you're the parent that wants to have the 44-year-old living in your basement playing video games. That's not necessarily our, our A game for raising children. When we raise children, even if everything goes according to plan, the real hardship, the empty nesting syndrome, is that our kids are raised so that we can release them into the world. Even at that point, the success of raising them well and healthily still becomes a challenge because when they move out and pursue their careers and start their own families, our bottom line is challenged. Our kids no longer live for us. We're a part of the ecosystem of their lives, but they begin to develop their own lives. In the same way, we did that at one point in our history. The bottom line is that when the kids leave, or they don't meet our expectations, or they might even walk down pathways that we deeply discourage because they are far from God, what happens is the, the, the wrecking ball comes, and we realize that we have put our ultimate hope in something that is not Jesus. The best hope we can put our hearts in, the, the best sort of thing we can fix the, the hope of our hearts on for the sake of our children is Christ and Christ alone. And I promise you, when Jesus sits in the throne of your heart, you will be the best parent you can be. Because Jesus wants you and I to be better parents than we even want to be. His desire for us to raise our kids in godly ways is greater than the desire we have in our hearts. And he wants this for our lives. So why, why lowball this? Why make the ultimate hope, what we think is the best for our kids, 
why not make what Jesus is, thinks is best for our kids our ultimate hope? You know, here's how I sort of want to leave you today, because I, I literally could spend another hour highlighting critical hope points, critical places where we take the, the, the verse, for me to live is Christ, and we substitute it with something else. I'll just share with you a, a story about another time of trial in our recent history. This is done for a couple of reasons. One, it's a really powerful, true story. And two, it shows us just how regularly challenges hit people. Like this is this one is ours now, but it's amazing. As Americans, we often have short memories. We forget the litany of difficulties we've seen as a people over the past 10 years. And this doesn't even account for the fact that there are some folks in our lives and some folks in our world who have endured tragedy that we know nothing of. So let me share with you an interview I watched several years ago that sort of proves the human reality of this bottom line truth I've been highlighting this morning. I saw it in the way two Hurricane Sandy survivors responded in a news interview about the devastating effects Hurricane Sandy had on their lives in the metro area of New York. And obviously New York is undergoing another devastation right now, and so we certainly want to make sure our, our prayers are being lifted up for all people. And in our country, that seems to be the hardest hit city, so another era of suffering for them. But I, I rewind the clock to Hurricane Sandy, which is probably something we haven't thought about because we've been consumed with what's been going on in the present world. And during the interview, there were two, two people that were interviewed. The first person was asked how they were coping with the devastation. And it was clear, this was a, uh, it, it broke my heart to see this. There was, this woman was talking into this camera and she was beside herself. She said, literally, she said, I feel like totally abandoned. She kept repeating that her house had been utterly destroyed. She had no food or water. She just kept pleading on the camera for somebody to come and help her and her neighbors out. And, and then she would quickly say after that, you know what, but I don't even think anybody is going to come. Like we've been waiting for days and we keep hearing somebody's coming, but, but nobody's coming. That's the way it looks like right now. And she was in an utter state of hopelessness. And it was really hard to watch that because emotively I was resonating with that, but I couldn't do anything about that. In sharp contrast, right after this interview, because you know this typical news, they're interviewing people after people. In sharp contrast with that was a second interview I saw, and this person was asked the same question, involved in the very same situation, an identical situation, had pretty much lost everything. But the response was different, and this is what caught my eye, because she was assured by somebody else in the community earlier that morning that the National Guard and the Red Cross were en route, meaning the trucks were rolling to where they were, and it was just a matter of time before they showed up with the incredible relief and need, uh, a relief that they needed to help. Food and water and all the other basic amenities of life they had been without for days. And it was obvious this person was still suffering. They were enduring the same hardship this other person was, but there was a very different posture of her heart, a very different state of mind. There was hope in this woman's voice. And the hope was there because she believed someone outside of herself was going to make good on her future promise to aid her life during a difficult time of need. She knew her circumstances were dire, but help, help was on the way. There was an unassailable help in route to deal with her challenges. And this physical example is truly the spiritual reality Paul is talking about here. If you, if you want my summary of what I think he's saying here, he's saying that, that those who live with Christ's hope in their heart, they suffer. It doesn't mean that suffering goes away, but we, we can look beyond the horizon of suffering because we know that there, there is a God who transcends 
circumstances of our suffering. There, there is something in route. And in Christianity, it isn't like we're waiting on Jesus or the Holy Spirit. They're already here. If we are in Jesus, what that means is the full complement of God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They, they dwell in us. And they are not, you know, we don't wait for them uh, to show up during our times of trial. The promise we have from God is He never leaves during any situation in our life. Once He is for us, He can never be against us. And that's a beautiful truth. So what I want to say today is that no matter what is going on, whatever circumstance you're dealing with today or five or ten years to come, the people in your life, no matter what is going on in our lives, Christ has promised in Romans to work it all out for His glory and our future good. And the challenge we have with this is that sometimes as we follow Jesus, we what we might think is the, the better good in our lives actually isn't the better good. And these circumstances change the trajectory of our lives. But for most of us who have followed Jesus for any amount of time, we know that difficulty and hardship often leads us, if we'll, if we'll permit God the process in our lives, to grow in Him in new and meaningful ways. And oftentimes our trajectories have been adjusted for good reason. And so as followers of Christ, I want you to know today that you, you can be assured, please hear me, if you hear anything I've said this morning, hear this. As a follower of Jesus, you can be assured that even when you cannot feel it, see it, when you don't even want to believe it, your life is inalterably sailing towards the shore of God's eternal goodness in Christ. The bow of your boat, Jesus will keep it pointed towards his hope, even in the days when you cannot do that on your own. And if you are here today and you're saying, you know, I hear a lot about Jesus, or I'm tuning into this channel for the first time, but I don't really know what it means to love Jesus the way you're talking about here. Maybe you're saying, for me to live is, I've never even thought about this. What does it mean to live for Christ? Well, then I want you to know that this teaching is also for you. You also have the ability to endure life's trials, no matter what is going on, because Jesus offers you his love and grace. Anybody listening to this, and anybody listening to you speak of Jesus, you need to know his love for our world is incredible. It is, it is awesome. And he wants the people of our world, of our neighborhoods, our nations, to know that his love for us is real. And that is something we spread through our word and deed. So if you have not come to this place in your life where you have questions about what it means to, to really live as if Christ is your all, we want to be able to encourage you on that journey or help you get on it for the first time. And all I say in closing is look at Paul's life. He comes to this heart deep conclusion that if he's going to make it in that jail cell, he had to live by a truth that was far more substantial than the circumstances of his life. In that cell, he knew Jesus was his all. And if we are going to follow Jesus, there can only be one bottom line for us. That is the reality of what I'm saying today. We can live with other bottom lines in our life, but to truly follow Jesus means he is the bottom line in our life. And if we live in any way otherwise to that, it is a Christian contradiction of the highest sorts. And in God's grace, he wants to work these things out in our lives so that we actually can know what it is, who it is that we live for. Because when you live for something other than Jesus, no matter how noble it might seem, when it fails you, and it inevitably will, your life will collapse alongside it. That's the evidence of it. If you live for a great stock market, uh, if you live for a wonderful economy, your life right now is probably a little jolted. And that's why we should not put our ultimate hope in the, uh, the stock market. We should be wise with our funds, but we realize how fragile the ecosystem of the world is in our lives. However, if Jesus is our ultimate hope, 
then we can know that even if we feel that we are with nothing, that is utterly not true. The bottom line is that for us to live is Christ, and we have everything we need in this life and the next. So ask yourself, what is it you have attached yourself to that is something other than Jesus, like it is Jesus this morning? Talk about this with your kids. Ask them, where are the places where they have, have cast the affections of their heart? Or the things, the, the people, or, or the places. Ask God and know that in kindness and in grace, He wants to help you understand the fragility of this way of speaking. Ask Him to graciously show you what the bottom line in your life is. And if it is not Jesus, what are the steps you can take to make it Jesus? And so when it comes to seeing the good that God wants to do in your life, that He wants to work in your life during any circumstance, good or bad, I leave you with the statement I leave you with each week. Ask yourself, what is Jesus saying to you about your bottom line? And what is it you will do about it as you live your life this day and for the rest of this week? And if you would, pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you, God, for, for the Apostle Paul. And I thank you, God, that the Scripture, your Bible, it's a, it's a book packed with stories of how men and women have followed you in imperfect and in broken ways. Yet, the one thing you show us time and time again is that your faithfulness to us, your love for us, your care for us, you don't bargain that. You don't bargain with us for that, Father. That is unassailable. It is immutable. And so I pray, Lord, that we would know that no matter how we feel right now, that the power of your Holy Spirit would remind the depths of our hearts and every crevice of our brains, that it would shape the things that we do with our hands this week. I pray, God, that we would know that to truly live for Christ means that we have the affection and the favor of God Almighty placed in the thrones of our hearts. I pray we would never forget how significant it is to know that we can be called sons and daughters of God through Jesus Christ. And in these brief but remaining moments we have this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would show us, God, the kingship of Jesus in our lives. Help us, God, to sort and to sense the places where we have wrongfully cast affections in our lives. And help us to sift those through the goodness and the grace of the one who has promised to never leave, to never forsake us, to never betray us, to never fail us. Jesus Christ, risen and sitting on the throne of power, right beside you. I pray, God, the affection of our hearts would be for nothing less than him this week and in every moment of our lives. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So listen, uh, a couple of quick comments before we depart. Uh, I want you to know that if you have questions about your life, faith, the things that we've discussed this morning, the words that we have sung this morning, if you have questions or even outright objections, if you think this stuff is nonsense that I'm talking about, we want to talk to you. We embrace any comments, any dialogue. In other words, no matter where you are or are not with Jesus Christ right now, we have a team of people and a church family packed with people who have proven for the better part of 10 years that we meet people where they are at. And so I want you to know that if there is a next step God is, is leading you to, if you need to be encouraged or prayed for, if you have a need, 
please contact our office this week. You can do that by email. You can leave messages. There's a multitude of ways you can get in touch with us, but please don't take your next step alone. One of the things that we might feel like right now is that we are disconnected from our, our church family at large, and, and physically we are. But I want you to know theologically we are bound in Christ for all of eternity. So let's take advantage of these tools of phone calls, of small meetings. If you have a need in your life, please let us know about that. We want to be able to serve you as you figure out what it means to follow Jesus. I also mentioned during this time, especially for those of you that are gospel partners, members of Restoration, I thank you for the continued faithfulness of your giving to our church. It's been astounding um, hearing from you and just observing you continue to support the ministry and the mission of Restoration uh, through our tithes and our offerings. And so uh, thank you for that. Remember, the work of the ministry continues, even though we're not in that movie theater on Sunday. There are 6.75 days of the week where the kingdom of God is being displayed through the leadership of our church and all of you. And so I encourage you to continue faithfully giving. You can do that on our website or mail a check. That information will be on this thread. Or you, like I said, you can go to our website. And I also want to give you another note of encouragement. Uh, I say each week that generosity, while it must include our church, cannot be limited to our church, meaning there are going to be ways that God blesses you and how you can serve your neighbor that far transcend the body of restoration. And one of the things that has encouraged me most deeply is the amount of times that I have spoken to congregants and physically witnessed them sharing of their time, of their money, and of their possessions with other people. It, it truly has been a motivation for me to hear that one of the greatest things our people are thinking about right now is how to serve other people in meaningful and sacrificial ways. And so even though we are not physically together, I pray you are encouraged by the work God is doing through you all. And I long for the day when we can be in a big room together to celebrate that. But until then, please know we are one in Jesus. We are bound in Jesus. And although physically we might be separated, the power of his spirit is what keeps us all connected. So stay in touch with your neighbor. Stay in touch with people throughout the week. Connect with the community group. Seriously, zoom in with us. This is a wonderful time for you to meet some people if you're wanting something beyond just this hour on Sunday. And I really pray that you that you do want that. So I hope if for nothing less you have been encouraged today, challenged in the areas of your life where there is a need for growth, and fully understand that God is gracious in both of those areas of our lives. And so as you go this week, think about what it means Think about what it is that you live for, ultimately. What is it that sits on the throne of your heart? And as you go, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father in heaven, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. Amen. I miss you and look forward to the day we can gather again. Blessings.